All opinions expressed by the program participants are their own and do not reflect those of Blue Line Futures LLC or their affiliates. The content is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as trading advice. Futures trading involves a substantial risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Therefore, carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for your financial condition. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of the Macro Corner Podcast, proudly presented by Blue Line Futures. I am your host, Paul Wankmuller, and today's topic is, is a soft landing in the cards? My guest today is Giannis Mindall. Thank you for joining me today, Giannis. Hey, Paul. It's good to be back on the podcast. Looking forward to cover this week's topic, so let's get into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we're talking about a soft landing, I believe that we are going to be talking about the end of the interest rate rising cycle. Uh, Is the economy going to fall flat on its face or will it be able to have a soft landing? Yeah. So what we're talking about as in regards to soft landing, it's basically can the Fed hike rates and keep reducing its balance sheet while the economy can keep coming along in some shape or form, or is it going to be a hard landing, which would mean interest rate cycle combined with a balance sheet runoff that's ultimately going to result in some sort of um, recessionary condition. So that's a big question the Fed has, and that ultimately determines the extent to which the Fed does keep hiking rates and how aggressive they can be, how long they can keep interest rates uh, as high as they maybe want them to see, which is probably above the 4% mark. So mm-hmm. all of these factors flow in, and when we talk about a soft landing, we ultimately turn to different market indicators that we'll cover here and what they're telling us uh, as it pertains to the possibilities that are currently reflected in market expectations. Sure, I, I guess maybe uh, one of those would be a higher unemployment rate would be correlated to a hard landing, right? Exactly. So a higher unemployment rate would mean uh, that the economy is closer to a recession than not. With that being said, the unemployment rate remains extremely low. Uh, We have not seen a real deceleration in the jobs market, although it's more likely than not we have rolled over as it pertains to the overall jobs picture. We covered that in last week's episode. We're coming off of record easy conditions, basically, as it pertains to jobs. Uh, But how that ultimately shakes out will be a key determinant in what the Fed will be doing because we need to be reminded that the Fed has a dual mandate of maximum employment and price stability. One key difference, though, right now is that the Fed is basically becoming a single mandate central bank. What does that mean? They are not paying as much attention as they used to to the economic picture because they think that all other economic conditions – are fully conditional on price stability. Without price stability, it is really hard to um, to have maximum employment over the long term and ultimately economic growth as well. So we're talking about a single mandate central bank. Uh, the Fed's vice chair, uh, Clarida, made that really clear on CNBC last week. Mm-hmm. The extent to which they're serious about that and the extent to which that is only rhetoric, uh, quote unquote, is an open question, but um, more likely than not, they are real focused on inflation. And uh, as we suggest in the article here, is that some of the indicators as it pertains to inflation are already rolling over. So maybe they want to stay high on rates for a little longer, but then the extent to which they have to keep hiking rates may be a lot slower. 
Right. I, I, I think one thing that is actually calling for a soft landing are the break-even rates here on, on yields, right? What, you, uh, what, what is a break-even rate? What, what does that mean? Yeah, so with a break-even rate, we measure the difference between nominal treasury yields and the equivalent uh, inflation-protected yield that the market Ooh. implies. So when people turn to the break-even rate, they are basically saying, uh, looking at an expectation that the market has uh, in regards to future inflation expectations. So high break-even rates mean that the market is anticipating higher inflation rates in the future, and that would be concerning if the Fed cannot rein in those rates. But uh, what we're seeing right now that those rates are more or less rolling over and are staying somewhat contained within uh, a range or at least not uh, breaking through to the upside, the extent to which many would have feared coming into this year. So the fact that these break-even rates are rolling over to the extent that they have or maybe are not going higher at, on an as-accelerated basis as they have is encouraging to see, especially as the Fed and its various governors keep implying that higher for longer might be the new reality rather than lower for longer, which was the official central bank policy ever since coming off of the great financial crisis with QE and all of that stuff. So break-even rates are, are uh, staying contained. They are encouraging as it pertains to the future path of interest rates as well as the balance sheet runoff. And disinflationary forces or deflationary forces, in fact, are not only reflected in break-even rates, but also in raw material prices and the associated shipping rates. Right, and I, I think you just led, led right into that. We have seen prices come down pretty substantially with the raw uh, material prices with that regards. But I, there's an entire cycle in there, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, where you're, you're going to need long-term investment. And we've spoken about this on previous podcasts. In order to, in, in order to keep you know, prices at bay, you're going to always need to be searching for these, you know, newer natural resources or if there are new technologies in order to take some of the pressure under, you know, one particular commodities, let's say, you know, kind of diversify your, your either your energy or your input costs to your manufacturing so that you can survive as a society. And what are those prices telling us? I, I do believe it looks like um, just based on the Baltic, uh, the Baltic dry index which is a shipping index uh, we've seen prices coming down for the better part of two years now yeah so the baltic uh dry index has been uh in the spotlight for so long especially as the world was sort of deep bottlenecking we've seen a lot of ports shut down uh especially looking at china and then keeping a zero COVID policy and that's been accompanying us for the better part of the last two and a half years Mm -hmm. But uh, these shipping rates basically imply that we are de-bottlenecking, that demand is coming down, and that's a really encouraging sign to see in the midst of a shift from goods-focused spending to services spending that's currently underway. And one of the things that we want to be really um, nuanced about is that despite those rates coming down, which may mean that some of the goods demand is coming down, the Fed is sort of achieving, and central banks globally are achieving more price stability in the process of hiking rates. We need to be really aware of the fact that there are still longer-term forces at play, and ultimately the Fed knows it, the ECB knows it, the BOE knows it, all these central banks know it. They can only 
uh, suppress demand for so long, and it then comes down to will capital flow back into sectors that have been underinvested in. We talk about minerals, we talk about fossil fuels. These are all areas where investment is needed. Until capital returns to these sectors, these problems of higher for longer on the price front will more likely to not persist. So the Fed is sort of uh, making a building a bridge between a place where prices have been extremely elevated and then a different place where they hope that demand is lower. But on the other side of uh, bringing down demand and demand will ultimately return in some shape or form, they still need to deal with uh, capital under investment in some of the most crucial sectors in the world economy. So we just heard the Indian I think it was the petroleum minister on CNBC talk about the fact that there's a sustained energy shortage. Energy shortages have vast implications, as we saw in many developing and emerging countries um, with unrest, etc. So these problems ultimately persist, and the Fed knows that they cannot solve these problems. Ironically, a higher cost of capital, which is created by what the Fed is currently doing, meaning tighter financial conditions, is having an adverse effect on long-term investment. As cost of capital goes up, less capital is available, and that has an, an adverse effect as it pertains capital spending in some of these most crucial sectors. So, ironically, we're bringing in inflation over the shorter and maybe intermediate term, but then the same actions have longer-term implications. So we do see some def disinflation, some deflation in some of the things that have been most concerning throughout this pandemic sort of time, but then we are dealing with longer-term issues and how that's ultimately going to be reflected in nominal yields and real yields in the stock market and asset prices as a whole is an entirely different question. And then we're also dealing with the aspect of monetary policy has a lagging effect on asset prices and also the economy. So these are all variables that we have to consider as the Fed keeps tightening, as maybe rates stay higher for longer, and what does that mean as it is so different from what we've been used to over the last 10 years, maybe 15 years, and in Japan for a much longer time as they introduced QE really on the back of the 2000s, on the back of, the, uh, of their own issues that they were dealing with coming into the years of 2000 and beyond. Is there anything, I do know that on September the 13th, we are going to have a CPI number released. Is, is there anything in that number that would indicate uh, a soft landing either way? Yeah, so what we saw during the last CPI report was a substantial deflationary uh, pull from the energy side. Uh, we do know that energies are directly spilling over into CPI uh, on a one-month lag, so that has a direct effect. We cannot, especially as underinvestment persists, count on that same deflationary force to persist. But then some of the more uh, structural forces are shelter, which is a big component of CPI. About one-third, so 30% of CPI is shelter, is housing, rent, rent, owner's equivalent rent. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of the more structural forces we do want to watch real closely and whether some of the more sticky components are ultimately going to have a pull upward function on CPI versus some of the maybe shorter term uh, deflationary forces in the areas of uh, durable goods spending as well as energy. All right. All right. That sounds good. Giannis, thank you very much for joining me today on episode 15 of the Macro 
Back row corner podcast, proudly presented by Blue Line Futures. I am your host, again, my guest, Giannis Mindall. And don't forget, listeners, the Macro Corner chart book is available in the description of the podcast on bluelinefutures.com, as well as attached to the email sent to clients every Sunday. Not a client? Reach out to podcast at bluelinefutures.com for a two-week complimentary trial of our premium research covering equity indices, bonds, metals, grains, livestock, and more. Thank you very much. We will see you next week, everybody. Happy trading. All opinions expressed by the program participants are their own and do not reflect those of Blue Line Futures LLC or their affiliates. The content is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as trading advice. Futures trading involves a substantial risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Therefore, carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for your financial condition.